The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast in America presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. For boosted same game parlays to live in game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Bet $100 and get an extra $100 at winbet.com or download the WinBet app and start winning today. State restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the Sports Gam Podcast Final Four Watch Party, April 1st at 7.30 p.m. SGP will be at the Ice House in Los Angeles, so come hang out with the crew. All the info at sportsgampodcast.com slash icehouse. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast from the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently early morning on Wednesday, March 22nd. And I'm Rose, as always, Scott Reichel, once again going solo for this pod. And for this episode, this will be the outright preview episode for the tournament going on in Miami, the Masters 1000 event in Miami. So it should be pretty fun. One of the uh, very, very intriguing scheduling spots on the ATP calendar every year where you have one Masters 1000 event that directly leads into another. As we just finished the very fun tournament in Indian Wells, now it's time to move over to the other side of the country as we go from the West Coast to the East Coast, and the Miami Open should definitely be a lot of fun. But before we get into any of the previews with the outrights to win the tournament, as well as the quarter winners, I do want to recap how we did over the weekend. And we had two podcasts, actually, for the finals. We had one for the WTA and one for the ATP. Overall, very good weekend. Starting off with the women's final, we ended up going one and one. Did win the lock. We had Rabakina plus three and a half games, a minus 150. Never in doubt, she didn't drop a set. She won in straight sets. The problem was the dog was over two and a half sets in that match. And it was really, really close each set. You had a really long hour and 20-plus set in uh, to start the match, and Sabalenka, unfortunately, couldn't get the job done there. And then you ended up having Rabakina win the second set, 6-4. So two competitive sets, but unfortunately for us, the same player won both and ended up losing the dog. So split on that show, but on the men's side, we absolutely crushed it as we had Alcaraz on the money line at minus 120 as our lock. Never in doubt, Alcaraz completely crushed him. And for the dog, we had Medvedev to not break Alcaraz's serve in the first set at plus 162. And Alcaraz went above and beyond, did not get broken in the entire match. I thought Alcaraz would get off to a fast start. I thought that he would look a lot sharper under the slow court conditions at Indian Wells, which Medvedev was complaining about. And I thought Alcaraz would also sprinkle in some serve and volleys with Medvedev's returning court position, and all those things happen. Alcaraz looked dominant, and the match was really, really over quickly. And as a result, we picked up a sweep on that show. So three and one uh, for the finals podcasts, and hopefully we'll keep it rolling here on Wednesday. But I do want to quickly discuss some of the takeaways I had from the actual final. So starting off with the women's side, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but we officially have a big three in women's tennis. You have Swiatek, you have Rabakina, and you have Sabalenka. You look at the main tournaments over the last year or so, pretty much each of them has been won by one of these three players. And you just look at the overall skill differential that's growing between these three and everyone else. It's not even close. And you're trying to think of who could be another serious contender to really win anything. Of course, you have some exceptions here and there. Uh, with the women's tennis, you always have a Cinderella that might make a run and win a tournament, but you don't have many options. Uh, just trying to think of 
anybody that could stand in their way. People keep trying to hype up Coco Goff, who hasn't won anything in her entire career. I know she's still very young because she was hyped up as a teen phenom, but I think we can agree that her career up to this point has been rather disappointing because she hasn't won anything. I know you can make an argument, well, she might have won a WTA tournament here and there, but she hasn't seriously contended for a Grand Slam, in my opinion. I, I know she made a deep run in Roland Garros. Swiatek crushed her. I'm not even counting that. But the point is, you're looking at the landscape of women's tennis right now. It is pretty much three players followed by everybody else. We just witnessed this on the men's side for about, I don't know, 15, 20 years. A couple of exceptions here and there. You had Walrenko win a couple. Murray became a fourth option. But for the most part, it was those three that dominated the sport for a long time. And unless somebody new shows up, it does appear that the trio of Swiatek, Rabakina, and Sabalenka are going to be running the WTA for a long time. So that was my main takeaway there. Congrats to Rabakina for getting the job done and getting revenge off of her Australian Open final loss to Sabalenka. But as for the men's side, the match went the exact way that I thought it would. I thought Alcaraz would win, and I thought that he was really a bad matchup for Medvedev, and he was. Alcaraz looked really just unstoppable. And I was trying to think of any areas he could improve on just based on watching that match. I had nothing. I thought Alcaraz played one of the best matches he's ever played. And I know that might sound a bit excessive or a bit hyperbolic because he's played a lot of really good matches before. But you got to remember, Medvedev entered that match winning 19 straight. He was the best hardcore player in the world based on his record over the past month or two. And Alcaraz didn't even beat him. He just destroyed him. The match was over immediately, and Medvedev had no answers. It was really just a destruction. And I have to at least bring it up. Alcaraz is only 19 years old, and last year I was harsh on him. Not really on him, but it was mostly on people that automatically proclaimed him as being the next superstar or being the next tennis god when we hadn't seen him win anything. And then... He completely took over the tour. So I have to give credit where credit's due. As you, all of you know, I ended up backing Alcaraz in the U.S. Open final against Rude. Ended up winning from that. But I waited until I could confirm that Alcaraz was fully ready to become the next face of tennis instead of just handing it to him like everyone else did. And it turns out everybody else was kind of right because I waited a bit longer than most to proclaim Alcaraz as being the guy. And... There's no shame in really just being extra careful with who's going to be the next face of your sport. But the point is, I do have to point out that Alcaraz did win the U.S. Open. Yes, Djokovic didn't play, but still, it was a phenomenal run by Alcaraz. And then you were wondering how his 2023 would go, especially after him missing the Australian Open because of injury. And then he ended up playing on the clay court circuit. He looked really sharp, but then he got injured and he skipped Acapulco, and I was concerned about his hamstring or his leg injury uh, going into Indian Wells, and that's why I didn't pick him to win the tournament, because I had to wait and see how he would look physically when he might have been rushing back from injury. And I mentioned at some point during the second or third round, I expect Alcaraz to destroy all my futures, and that's exactly what happened. I had Sinner, and I had Medvedev to win the event. Uh, if you ended up hedging Medvedev, you ended up making some money in there because you could have gotten Alcaraz at basically a minus 120 price. And I took Alcaraz as the lock, so I'm sure you knew where I was leaning towards the final. But 
I at least I have to bring it up that Alcaraz, if he can beat Medvedev that badly in hardcourt, and yes, I know it was a hardcourt that Medvedev didn't like because he was playing very slow, but the performance I saw from Alcaraz on Sunday was an absolute masterclass, and the fact that he's only 19 is terrifying because if he can maintain that level on a consistent basis... He's going to win like 15 plus grand slams. Like I don't, I don't think anybody can stop him if he plays that well. You look at the issues he had earlier in his career. The serve has gotten a lot better. The unforced errors have mostly been under control. Still going to flare up every now and then. It does for everybody. But Alcaraz has the movement. He's got the variety. He's got the power. You can argue he's got the most powerful forehand on tour. The backhand's good. The serve's improving. The net skills are incredible. I think it's his most underrated skill set is his net skills. But... The point is Alcaraz is starting to look like a complete tennis machine. And I have to point out that assuming that Djokovic is going to be past his prime within the next two years, or assuming that he just flat out retires, I don't think anybody can beat Alcaraz right now just looking at the next-gen guys or looking at any of the current just tour Alcaraz really might usher in a reign of complete dominance that we have not seen since Federer. Uh, you're trying to think of guys who have owned the tour pretty much by himself. Federer did that before Nadal became a thing and before you ended up seeing Djokovic take over. But there was a time period there for a couple of years where Nadal would win the French Open every year and Federer was going to win at least two of the other three and usually he'd win three. And that was kind of just the accepted uh, dividing of the Grand Slams. You had Federer who'd win the majority, or and then you'd have Nadal win the French Open. Alcaraz could really do that. And you can make an argument that he has a shot to potentially win a calendar Grand Slam because of how good he is on every surface. And he does have to face off against Prime Nadal. And you can make a serious argument that Federer, assuming in a parallel universe that Nadal didn't exist... Federer might have won the calendar Grand Slam maybe a time or two. Maybe Djokovic would have won one as well. But the point is, Alcaraz, since he's only 19, it is scary for the rest of the tour how good he is at 19. And barring injury, he he's going to turn himself into an unstoppable force. And he has a good coaching staff around him. All the pieces are in place. But what he did to Medvedev once again on Sunday was absolutely incredible. And I wanted to just deep dive into it because he looked like a guy who is going to be a serious problem. And I don't see a flaw in his game at this point. If you dig deep enough, you can probably find one or two. You know, he's not showing variety on the first or what, whatever. The point is, all the basics, he's got covered and he's a lead at. And you're looking at what looks like it's going to be a relatively weaker generation once Djokovic retires. And even Nadal at this point, He's battling injuries, and I'm not sure he's going to be the same guy again. But Alcaraz really just might be owning the tour for the next decade and change. But I kind of just wanted to bring that up. But either way, point is, Alcaraz was great. So is Rybakina, and that's and so is uh, Rybakina, I mean. And that's going to basically recap how the weekend went. But now it is time to transition over to Miami, the purpose of this episode. And before I actually get into any of the odds, do want to recap the winner's in years past. So for the most part, you have a bunch of retired players uh, looking at the winners starting from, we'll go from 2010. You have Roddick, Djokovic, Djokovic, Murray, 
Djokovic, 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 Federer, Isner, Federer, and then you have post-COVID, you have Herkaz winning and Alcaraz. So Djokovic, first of all, cannot attend because this is in the United States. We saw Djokovic have to sit out Indian Wells because he wasn't vaccinated and nothing has changed. He is still not vaccinated and he is not allowed into the country. Do I think the rule is stupid? Yes, we've covered this before. But the point is Djokovic, whether you agree with the legislation or not, he cannot participate. So as a result, it is unfortunate that a six-time champion here cannot play. But he's not available. Murray has won this event twice, but he's well past his prime at this point. Federer is obviously retired. He won it four times. And you have Isner, who's well past his prime as well. But 2021 and 2022, you had Herkaz beating center, which was a bit surprising. And you had Alcaraz, who won last year against Rude, 7-5-6-4 in the final. So Alcaraz not only is coming off of a dominant performance against a top five player in the world, but he's also the defending champion here. And as a result, you know for a fact that his game translates extremely well to Miami. And I think that's going to pay dividends for Alcaraz in this matchup, but or in this tournament. But the point is, I wanted to go through briefly the history of this event. Not really much to take away because of the fact that most of the guys who have won here either aren't allowed to play or have retired from the sport. So I want to just bring that up. Usually you can find some openings or some uh, options based on some long shots with the with former champions, etc. If you want to take Herkaz, it is 33-1 to 1 for him to win. So if you want to go for a flyer, that is your former champion angle. But Alcaraz, the former champion, is obviously the favorite because he is the best player active this weekend since Djokovic is not. So it makes sense that he is favorite at plus 175. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up for the actual tournament history. But to transition over into... The actual odds here, Alcaraz is the favorite at plus 175. Medvedev is the second favorite at plus 300. Sinner is 10 to 1. Tsitsipas is 18 to 1. Zverev is 22 to 1. Felix is 22 to 1. Fritz is 28 to 1. That's your first American on the board. You have Rublev at 28 to 1. Rune at 33 to 1. Herkaz at 33 to 1. Nori at 33 to 1. Rude at 40 to 1. Diminor at 40 to 1. Tiafo at 40 to 1, Tommy Paul at 50 to 1, Berrettini at 50 to 1, Kakanov at 50 to 1, and if you want to throw in Murray there for, for the hell of it, it's 66 to 1. So starting off with the obvious, will I what I seriously consider taking any long shots? Herkaz, I feel like I'm gonna have to consider because he has won this before, and it is 33 to 1. So that's gonna be tempting no matter what. Get a former champion here at 33 to 1, and we know Herkaz is capable of of beating anybody if the serve is on point. So Herkaz is probably going to be my main long shot that I have for this event. I might sprinkle a little bit on Tiafo as well. I know Tiafo lost to Medvedev, but he showed heart and he played well that tournament before losing to Medvedev. I'm not sure if he's going to win, but 40 to 1, maybe I'd consider. But for the most part, as we know, with most ATP events, especially on hard court, Usually, you don't get many Cinderella runs. Usually, especially with top five, top three guys in there, they take care of business, and I really see that being the case. I see three serious contenders for this tournament. I see Alcaraz, I see Medvedev, and I see Sinner, who obviously has have the lowest odds of anybody to win this event, but I think it's warranted. You're looking at Alcaraz. He just won this event last year. He looked dominant. And I think he's going to look fantastic once again here. So Alcaraz would be my main pick. 
I think that he is the best player that's active this weekend by a country mile. And I do think that he should be able to take care of business in all these matches pretty easily until maybe the semis or the final, but we'll see. But the point is Alcaraz, I know it's plus 175, which is something I normally don't take because I like to get at least usually 250 on my lowest odded favorite that I was going to take. But based on Alcaraz's form right now, I can't really go against him. I got to go with Alcaraz at plus 175. Medvedev at 3-1 is interesting because he has been great, obviously, winning 19 straight matches. The problem is he hasn't really taken any time off, and I'm concerned about fatigue over the course of this event. Also, I'm concerned that if he gets matched up against Alcaraz, the court speed at Miami is still a bit on the slower side, but is definitely faster than Indian Wells, and it's not even close. So it's more towards average, which should benefit Medvedev compared to Indian Wells and how he struggled there despite making the final. But the question is, if Medvedev would face off against Alcaraz in the final, do I think Medvedev would have a realistic chance at winning? And even though Medvedev is a great player who's had a great year, I don't think he would beat Alcaraz. And with that being the case, I don't think I can take Medvedev at 3-1. to one. But it's mostly fatigue angle because he's played pretty much every week for the last month. I don't know how he does it, just stamina-wise. But props to him, but I don't think I could take him at 3-1 to one because if that's going to be the option that I go for, I think that he's going to have to get through Alcaraz. And I'm not sure he's capable of doing that. But anyway, the point is... Medvedev, I think, has a has a the second best chance of winning. Maybe you could argue third best chance if you think Sinner's got a better shot at it, but Medvedev has a consistency, and I think Medvedev will probably make a deep run where Sinner is always susceptible to getting upset early in tournaments. But for the most part, the three main guys that I think actually are going to win this event, I think Alcaraz, Medvedev, or Sinner is going to win this event. Probably Alcaraz or Medvedev, I'm being honest with you. But based on the odds of 3-1 to one, and the fact that I think Alcaraz is already better than Medvedev is as a player, I don't think I can take Medvedev at 3-1. to one. But once again, he might win the tournament, but I don't think there's any value on it. So I'm going to stay away from Medvedev for odds purposes, but it would not surprise me if he ends up making a deep run. I'll go back to him for the quarter odds of Sinner. I'm going to take it at 10-1. to one. He had a competitive set there against Alcaraz in the first set, had a set point, actually, but couldn't convert. And Sinner looked good in Indian Wells, couldn't get the job done, but he looked very sharp leading up to that Alcaraz match. So I think Sinner's got value there as well. Sitsipas, I want nothing to do with because he complained about having to play at Indian Wells because of his ranking, despite the fact that he was battling an injury, which is why he lost pretty early on to Jordan Thompson in that event. But the point is, Sitsipas is a guy who's battling injury, and I don't really trust him mentally anyway. So I'm staying away from Sitsipas. I want nothing to do with him in this event. Do I think he's going to lose in the first round? Maybe, maybe not. But the point is, I do think at the end of the day, there is not much value backing a guy that might be somewhat physically compromised. And once again, it's a very solid field. So I'm going to stay away from Sitsipas. I hope he looks better. But until I see it, I can't exactly bet it. So... Staying away from Sitsipas there, Zverev, no. He's played better. I'll give him props. He gave Medvedev a better run for his money there, but I can't trust him enough, and I still am going to wait it out a bit longer with his rehab process. And Now, he has gotten better, so I'll give him that. Seems like the rehab process is working, but I, I'm not going to take him at 22-1. to 1. Are you Felix is 22-1. to 1? I don't trust Felix either, so no chance. 
Fritz, no. Rublev, no. Rune's potentially intriguing, but I'm worried about fatigue because it seems like he always has leg issues in this event, in these longer events, whether it involves just cramping or just an overall serious injury. Rune's had a hard time of actually staying healthy and avoiding medical timeouts or leg cramps, mostly leg cramps. And I think that's going to be a problem, especially in Miami, which could be rather hot. But Herc has, I'll take a flyer on a 33 to one since he has won this event before. And Tiafo will be my American choice. Do I feel great about it? No, but I think Tiafo has got a decent draw. And I do think at the end of the day, when you're looking at his actual draw for this event, it's really, really not bad. Uh, he has a buy in round one. Then he's facing off against Watanuki or Benoit Pair. Shout out to Benoit Pair, by the way. Won a challenger event, made qualifying, made it through qualifying, beat Kokonakis in a three set thriller there in the final round of qualifying, which was a win win for everybody because Pair got in and Kokonakis got a lucky loser draw. So, yeah, overall, congrats to Benoit Pair for actually being back on. A mass in a Masters of Thousand event after he basically punted tennis for about a year straight. But I'm happy that he kind of rebuilt himself and I look forward to seeing him. Kind of the same thing with Bernard Tomich. Tomich has been more involved in futures events, but he's gravitated more to challengers. But the point is, Benoit's been good and I'm hoping that he has some success here. But the point is, Tiafo does have an advantage facing off against Pair because Tiafo's the better player and I think that's going to pay off. But you have Sunigo against Team. And you have Evans with a bye. Evans has been horrible this year. Team's not been very good. And Sonigo has been okay, but we know that he's extremely volatile. I think it's a pretty good little section there for the first three rounds for Tiafo. And if he wins all those matches already in the round of 16, which I think is obviously going to be appealing. So Tiafo, based on how easy his draw is, I think probably has some value early on. Maybe even for a quarter draw, but I'll get into the quarters in a second. But the point is, you're looking at who he might face off against and even above he might face off against Felix and I think he could beat Felix because Felix has been a pretty streaky player he looks pretty good in Indian Wells but we know that Felix is capable of really just imploding at any given time and I think Tiafo has the game to potentially beat him so I think it's a pretty reasonable draw there for Tiafo and I think 40 to one's a decent price for an American guy now do I think he's gonna win the event no but I do think you could potentially hedge at some point in this event and pick up a decent uh, little, I don't want to say middle, but I think you could pick up some potential auto profit if you hedge accordingly. But either way, I'll take Tiafo at 40 to 1. That will be my biggest long shot. I really don't have much more. I might have even been stretching with Tiafo. But once again, my outrights to win the tournament will be Alcaraz at plus 175 as my main play. Sinner at 10 to 1. And I also will go with uh, Herkaz at 33 to 1. And I'll also go with Tiafo at 40 to 1. But now to transition over to the actual quarter draws here. Uh, I mostly like favorites, as you can tell. Alcaraz is minus 140 to win the first quarter. Uh, you have Fritz at 650, Rune at 8 to 1, Paul at 9 to 1, Murray at 16 to 1, Isner at 16 to 1. I'm not going to mention many other names. Uh, you have Shapo at 22 to 1, how quickly he's fallen from grace. Uh, shout out to Schwartzman. He's actually playing this event. I'm sure he's going to lose in round one, but at least he showed up for this event. Uh, but you're looking at the first quarter. It's minus 140. I don't give a damn. Give me Alcaraz. I just think he's going to be able to dominate. Fritz doesn't exactly have the movement to keep up with Alcaraz, and I think that you'll end up seeing him dominate if they face off against each other. 
Rune is good, but I'm concerned about the overall stamina and the durability of his leg if he ends up having a marathon match. Tommy Paul did beat Alcaraz last year, so I think Paul could do it. But I think Alcaraz improved even further, and Paul doesn't have the serve. The firepower is not there. I think Alcaraz would win that one. And Murray, don't even waste my time. So I got Alcaraz win the first quarter at minus 140. No other plays that I'm going to really mention in that quarter. Now, the second quarter could get interesting because Sinner is plus 175. And I do really like Sinner, obviously. But I have seen in the past kind of struggle to avoid upsets. And I do think it is possible for him to lose somewhat early in this event. But looking at the actual path for Sinner, it is quite favorable. Faces off against either Vukic or Dejir. He has a bye in the first round. Then face off against either Fognini, Struff, or Dimitrov. Probably Dimitrov. I think Sinner probably wins that one. Might be competitive. I think Dimitrov could make that match extremely interesting. But Sinner's the better player, so I'll lean to him. Then potentially in the uh, next round, assuming he beats Dimitrov, he'd have to face off against Rublev. I think Sinner could beat Rublev, assuming Rublev even gets that far, because we know that he's been pretty hot and cold so far this year. And his draw is not terrible. He has a bye, faces off against Bublik or Wolf. Could be interesting. And then faces off against either Kekmanovic or Monfi or Umber. I'm assuming Rublev gets by that, but Sinner could give him some problems. So we'll see uh, how that goes. But the point is, I think Sinner has value at plus 175, because it is a pretty solid quarter to be in, especially in the first couple rounds. Uh, besides that, though, I really don't see much else that I'm really tempted by. Uh, do I want to take Zverev? No. Rublev at 5-1? to one. Eh, I don't feel great about it. Yeah, I really don't see much here. So I'm gonna just going to stay with Chalk once again. Give me Sinner at plus 175. Uh, if I was leaning to anybody else, it probably would be Rublev at 5-1, to one, just because of his draw being quite favorable as well. Uh, so if you think you can get past J.J. Wolf or Bublik, then he's basically going to cruise into his matchup against either Sinner or Dimitrov, and you'll go from there. But I think I am going to lean to Rublev as my somewhat good value play at 5-1. to one. Now, moving on to the third quarter, you have Medvedev at minus 120. You have Herkaz at 5-1, to one, Nori at 550. Uh, Diminor at eight to one, Berrettini at ten to one, Shelton at fourteen to one, Chorich at fourteen to one, etc. Another top-heavy quarter for me. I'm going to be sticking with any of the main three guys. I think Medvedev does win the quarter, so I'll take him at minus one twenty. The problem is I don't think he's going to beat Alcaraz, so I can't really take the plus three hundred if I don't believe in his chances of actually winning. If you're going to be taking single digits, but the point is Medvedev should win this quarter, so I'll go with him at minus one twenty. Herkaz, I think, is worth a flyer just because I do believe that Herkaz's serve could maybe catch Medvedev off guard. I'm not going to take Nori. I think Nori's a good player. He's not a great player. And the concern you have is the fact that he has no firepower at all on any wing. And the backhand's not great. The forehand, he's kind of injected a bit of extra pace into recently, but he can't serve. And we saw Tiafo torture him in the return games uh, or I should say in Tiafo's return games during that quarterfinal match in Indian Wells, he couldn't serve. And Tiafo was able to get deep into his service games and eventually Nori would blink. But if Nori would face off against Medvedev, I'll take Medvedev easily. And I think Herkaz would be pretty live to beat Nori as well. 
So I think I'm just going to stick with those two. Give me Medvedev and Herkaz as my third quarter bets. And the fourth one is the official free-for-all section because I'm not taking Sitsipas at 250. I don't trust Felix enough to take him at 3-1. to one. So I have three favorites, and now I'm going with the Cinderella story here. Uh, first glance, I think Tiafo at 4-1 to one has some merit. I mentioned the draw before. It is quite favorable. And once again, I don't trust Sitsipas or Felix, so I'm staying away from both those guys. Tiafo at 4-1 to one would be my first option. My second option was going to be a guy who burned us a couple of weeks ago, but he really, really has a good draw, and that is going to be none other than Leshka. And we're going to take him to win the quarter at 8-1. to one. I got to go through the draw here because I know some of you still were traumatized by what happened there in that match against Murray. I understand it, but to look at his draw, it is pretty nice. Face off against Coria. In the first round, he's going to bury Coria. Coria got killed by Schwartzman on a hard court. Like Coria is going to get killed, and then Alessica face off against Musetti. Musetti's off a bye. He's been atrocious over the past couple of months. So Alessica should basically have two buys into the matchup against what should be Kakanov. Maybe Echeverry, but probably Kakanov. I think Alessica has the ability to beat Kakanov. Would be competitive, but I think there is probably some value there. I think he'll be favored, and then he'll face off against probably Sitsipas. But the point is, Leshika, I just think, has a good skill set. He has a good serve, and I do think that at 8-1 to one, with a draw like that, I think it is quite favorable. Once again, if you're going to tell me you have a matchup against two clay specialists and Musetti's fallen off a cliff, I'm going to take the guy who has a decent path to get into the third match of this tournament guaranteed or close to a guarantee. So give me Leshika at 8-1. to one. But once again, if I was going to take any long shot, it would be in the fourth quarter. But once again, my uh, breakdowns or my picks for each quarter, give me Alcaraz by himself at minus 140 to win the first quarter. Give me Sinner uh, to win the second quarter at plus 175. But I also will throw in Rublev there at 5-1. to one. For the third quarter, give me Medvedev and Herkaz. I'll take Medvedev at minus 120 and Herkaz at plus 500. And the fourth quarter, I'm going to skip the favorites and go for my Cinderella. Give me Tiafo at four to one and give me Leshika at eight to one. That's going to wrap it up for the futures preview. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for matches taking place in the first round. But until then, going to have a quick word from our sponsor. Winbet is the official online sports pick of the Sports Game Podcast Network. Winbet is now active in Massachusetts and a ton of other states. And March Madness is here. So many ways to bet on the big dance. Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100 and get an extra $100 limit to state availability. And of course, for our DGENs only, if you hit the biggest long shot parlay of the week, you get a $1,000 free credit. So much to choose from. And all you have to do is head over to winbet.com or download the Winbet app. Offer subject change terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through is available. If you're somebody who knows a gallon problem, call 1 800 522 4700. The SGP guys are going to be hosting a Final Four watch party at the historic Ice House in Pasadena, California, Saturday, April 1st at 7.30 p.m. Get all the details at sportsgampodcast.com slash icehouse. Look, looking to hang out with Sean and Ryan at Stadium Swim and watch the biggest golf tournament in the world? You can win a three-night stay at Circle Las Vegas to hang out with the guys. Contest is completely free to enter. Just go to sportscampodcast.com slash golf party. And if you don't win the contest, 
you can still get a discount on a room using the pro promo code SGP15. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is heating up for March Madness. College Pick'em is a great way to get in on the action, especially if you have your bracket busted already. Let's be real. You have Arizona that lost. You have Duke that lost. and Duke was a popular pick. You had a couple of one seeds go down. I'm assuming most people's brackets are busted, but it's okay. You can still make money because Underdog Fantasy has your favorite college basketball player props. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outrights for the Miami Open, but now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks on the matches. So starting off with the lock, going to go to a matchup on Thursday between Galan and McDonald. And for this match, we're going to take the total in this one. We're going to take the under 21 games at minus 131. Simply put, McDonald's the much better player on hardcore, and it's really not even close. Galan had the thrilling win against Tsitsipas in the U.S. Open. The problem is, since then, he hasn't really done anything to go through some of Galan's recent results, mostly playing on clay, and he was not very good at it, to be honest with you. But to go through uh, Galan's results, it is really, really bad. In fact, to go through his wins and losses, he has officially lost uh, one, two, three. Sorry, I got to do the counting here. Three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, one and seven, one and eight, one nine, one and ten. He's lost ten of his last eleven matches, and most of them are in straight sets. So he has really not done anything when it comes to uh, just even looking like a competent ATP player lately. McDonald has been streaky, but it's in America, so he's going to have the home crowd behind him, and he's been good. Now he lost to Rune in Indian Wells, somewhat competitive, but Rune is a top ten player. Uh, ended up beating Krajinovic in the first round of Indian Wells, six three six zero. Krajinovic's been terrible lately, but the point is he took care of an inferior opponent in straight sets. Ended up lo- uh, losing to Tommy Paul. Paul's also been very good this year, but he ended up beating McDonald. He ended up beating a Nakashima six two six zero and beat Darty or uh, Darderi. I mean six four six two in Acapulco. So McDonald has been fine. The issue with McDonald is that he tends to struggle against top-tier guys, like most like most people have the same issue. But against bottom feeders or against below-average competition, he actually takes care of business relatively well. And they did face off earlier this year. They only played one set because Galan ended up retiring. But McDonald did win 6-3 in Adelaide on New Year's Day, actually. So the point is McDonald did look very comfortable against Galan in the only set they played on hardcore in their careers against each other. But Galan has been so bad lately that I think McDonald should win comfortably. I think he'll get a couple of breaks. Golan's really not a good server, and I think you'll probably see McDonald win this one 6-4, 6-2, something like that. But for the sake of this particular match, give me the under 21 games at minus 131. And for my dog, I am going to go to a match that is taking place on Wednesday, and it's going to sound dangerous because of the fact that this player gave a serious threat or he ended up giving a a challenger runner-up in the event a serious challenge in the uh, tournament early on and I'm talking about Monfi now Monfi we faded in his match against Thompson and he was horrible he looked pretty good against Shevchenko and Shevchenko eventually made it all the way to the final before losing to uh, Burgess but I have to go with Umber 
minus one and a half sets or Umbaran straight sets of plus 105. It's one thing to be competitive against a challenger level player. It's another thing to be competitive against an ATP level player. And Umbaran's played better recently over the past couple of weeks. But the Monfi scoreline's a bit misleading because Monfi was getting absolutely destroyed. He lost the first set against Shevchenko, and then he went down, I believe it was 4 nothing in the second set. He was down 6-4-4-0, and he came back, and he won the second set before eventually losing the third. So I can't even say he looked great. He just woke up in the middle of that second set and made a run to win that set. But once again, being down 6-4-4-0 isn't exactly an ideal spot to be in. And I think that when you're going to give me plus money, fading a guy that's only played two matches in roughly, uh, well, since really just last year, August, I I feel like there has to be value on Umber to win straight sets here. And to look at the recent form that Umber is in, I mentioned it or I alluded to it briefly. To go through the actual numbers here, he had a pretty deep run in a challenger event over in France, lost in the final, but he looked pretty good throughout the entire event. Uh, then he went to Indian Wells, beat Zapata Marais in straight sets, beat Chapovalov in straight sets, and then he lost to Rublev in, in a competitive match there, 7-5-6-3. But Umber has been good, and I do think that he is a very streaky player, and he was on a serious downswing earlier this year, but it does seem like he's starting to slowly but surely turn it around. But fading a somewhat compromised Munfi. I think is going to be a solid value play, especially at plus 105. I talked about it a couple of podcasts ago, and I mentioned how Monfi might be in auto-fade territory. We're going to test this out. So we're going to fade Monfi, and hopefully ends up struggling once again. So once again, to wrap up or to recap the lock and dog segment, the lock will be the under 21 games in the McDonald-Golan match at minus 131, and the dog will be... Umber to win in straight sets at plus 105 against Monfi. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. You can find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. You can find me on the NBA show once again on Wednesday. So whether you want to watch it on YouTube, whether you want to stream it on Spotify, the point is we're available in a lot of outlets, but you can find me on the NBA show. You can also find me on, obviously, this show, and you can find me on Occasionally the PropCast, but also the WNBA show, which will be starting up in a couple of months. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.